everyone and welcome to PR Not BS with me Fiona Scott. How are you today? I hope you're having a great day, a great week, a great month. Doesn't matter what you're doing, are you cooking dinner, cooking lunch, are you running, are you walking the dog, are you in the office, are you lying on bed with your headphones on thinking I must catch up with Fiona's podcast. Doesn't matter what you're doing, I really hope you feel inspired, you get hints and tips with Me and my lovely guest today, who's a lady called Zoe, but I'm not going to tell you about her. She is going to tell you all about herself. So, Zoe, over to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, I'm Zoe Hewitt. I'm an interior designer. Uh, I used to be a set designer, and I switched about sort of 15 years ago because the, the skills are pretty much the same. But obviously the application is quite different. I, I'm not allowed to use gaffer tape anymore and everything has to last longer than three weeks. So tell us, how did you get into the whole world of design, Zoe? I think in my childhood, if I'm honest, which probably sounds a bit weird, but I used to play with the, the kids next door and we'd always put on plays for the grown-ups. So making costumes and making props I was something I did from a really young age. And I watched my mum redecorate the house over a period of well, probably a decade. And I think that probably led to me getting into design. I I do actually remember saying to the school careers advisor, I want to do this. I want to paint stage sets. I want to design them. I want to build them. And I didn't know what that job was called. So he handed me a very neat leaflet and said, you want to be a stage designer? I was like, that was easy. Thank you very much. Oh, you're so. so you're so lucky with that, Zoe, because when I had careers advice and ladies and gents listening in, I'm quite a bit older than Zoe. Um, I was told with your skill set, Fiona, you can be a nurse or a secretary, oh. neither of which I had any intention or desire to be. Oh, it's so unfair, isn't it, when people get kind of shoehorned into things that are... Not what they want to do. I know. I think in those days, there was a bit of a stereotype, particularly um, I was at a very working class school, that girls did certain jobs. And if you wanted to do typing, I did typing instead of an O-level back in the day, you clearly wanted to be a secretary. Whereas for me, I just thought it was a useful skill to have and could be applied across several things. I I hope careers advice is better today. I wouldn't say with my own children I found that to be the case, to be honest. But um, obviously in your case, it was very positive. So how did you go from that leaflet to actually doing the job then, Zoe? Oh, that is a good question, because the leaflet was actually for Welsh College of Music and Drama, which is in Cardiff, where I grew up. And for some reason, I didn't want to stay in Cardiff. I wanted <laughs> I wanted that university of experience of, of going to another city. Uh, so London London was calling and I applied to Wimbledon School of Art and I wanted to get in so badly that I remember making my parents carry about 12 different boxes of like sketchbooks and sculptures and things up a flight of stairs. Uh, yeah, I wanted it bad. <laughs> and yeah, and, and? Uh, I got in. And I was really shocked and delighted. And a a school friend of mine also got in to do a different course. So that was great having someone around. But after graduating, the the sort of status quo was that the expectation was that you'd volunteer in a theatre or or with a theatre company. And that just was not an option for me, especially not in London. So I went back to Cardiff and I just did whatever I could to develop my own portfolio in between freelance gigs 
I, I was very, very proactive. I mean, I would I would put on weird performances in the basement of the flat that I was renting, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> well, it's like, that might sound funny, but actually that is PR and personal branding to push yourself forward. It's just you wouldn't have thought of it in that way at that mm-hmm. time, would you? But that is what you were doing. I mean, would you say that you have a certain style or can you flex your design skills? I sometimes find when I work with graphic designers and things like that, Zoe, that I can spot a mile off who did what as I get to know them. So how would you describe your eclectic mix, if you like? Well, that's interesting. I think I'm known for colour. There's no denying that. (laughs) People generally don't come to me for beige. (laughs) No, I'm looking at Zoe today and she's wearing a bright green jumper and her hair's up on her head. One of those like messy bun things where she probably just goes bloop and her hair's perfect. Whereas I have no hair. And then behind her is a white wall, a brick wall. And then there's this thing, I don't know if it's a piece of artwork, that's like a Colour spiral it reminds me of one of them spirographs, Zoe, of when I was a kid, doing spirograph designs behind you. I love spirograph. It's actually a puzzle and it's, it is a lockdown puzzle <laughs> and it's a, a colour wheel. And it was quite a challenge to get it on the wall because it's round, so it's not easy to frame. So I spent about two hours sticking it onto uh, individual pieces onto a, a piece of card. And it's, uh, it's uh, held on with a bulldog clip th- hooked around a... a uh, a screw that was already in the wall so I was very lucky there marvellous well now you've got a picture of what Zoe's like today so when you're in that basement tell us some of the things you were doing then Zoe to get people through the door down the stairs into the basement oh that particular event was actually ticketed through an art centre through chapter art centre in Cardiff and they were quite interested in doing kind of smaller scale almost like installation art or live art things that weren't like a fully fledged theatrical production because obviously putting something like that on is kind of next level expense (laughs) and it was it was actually taking inspiration from a piece of poetry I can't remember which poem it was now but it was T.S. Eliot and it was a sort of atmospheric piece where you could go in and spend as little or as long as you liked in there and sort of soak up the atmosphere and and then we had like a musical loop and there was an actor in there sat at a, a typewriter just sort of kind of performing writing. It was, sounds like it's probably quite boring to watch, but it, we did get lots of people coming along and I got some fantastic portfolio out of it and a bit more experience doing designing for things like that. So what happened that actually got you into, I don't know, contracted work or a full-time job? Not quite sure how it works in set design. Ah, well, I've almost never been employed to the point where I'm definitely unemployable, I would say. Ditto. (laughs) So I have no option but to make this work now. (laughs) Um, I I did have a job for about a year working at Stage Electrics, uh, helping people um, hire or buy lighting equipment. So I had to learn a lot of technical stuff there. Hmm. I, I was a freelancer, really, and obviously working in theatre, it's not a well-paid, n- nobody really gets well-paid, so so that was quite hard. And after a while, I realised that I could transfer my skills and work in film and TV, so gradually I just had to find out who were the people I needed to contact and send them my CV 
I made a one-page website, which in 1994 was a feat. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed. I couldn't do it now, mm. not with actual code. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. Well, I went on a course. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, couldn't, I can't code for toffee. I'm not a numbers person. So it was just a case of networking and being persistent and just showing that I could do it, really. And just tell us then when you did sort of get these more regular gigs, if you like, give us some idea of some of the things you've done. But this is before you went sort of down the interior design route. Okay. Well, I worked on a series of short films to begin with. And there was an opening for me as a trainee. So I was really lucky to get onto that because, of course, everyone wants to work in TV. Everyone wants to work in creative industries. So... I had a go. I was someone took a chance on me, and that was a lot of fun. And it's in no way glamorous. I mean, you know, scrabbling around on the floor, cutting things, and you've got five minutes to make it work, and then spraying things to make them look dirty, or whatever. And of course, I didn't go in as a designer. I went in um, at a much more junior level, so it wasn't always very creative. There was a lot of standing by a monitor and making sure that the continuity of anything you could see in the shot was uh, was correct. <laughs> Things like that, and of course, really long hours as well. So it was quite hard going, but it was loads of fun. So one minute we'd be dressing a hotel room to look really slick and really city center, cosmopolitan. And then the next minute we'd be working on a, a countryside cottage well, I worked on Torchwood. That was loads of fun. I was a buyer. So I had to do things like buy 20 litres of fake blood. That was on my shopping list one day. I had to go and talk to the props guys and commission them to make a human barbecue. <laughs> but it never got used because it was deemed too gory by the producers in the end. They, they whipped out at the last minute. so it never. I was going to say, I watched that and I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> I uh, had to go and buy maggots one day. That was a uh, I didn't want to even touch the box that they were in, so I'm not quite sure how I got that to set, but uh, I did. Amazing. <laughs> so talk to us about when you thought, well, actually, I can do interior design and also dispel any myths around it, because in my mind, growing up anyway, if anyone ever had an interior designer, it meant they were rich. You know, they lived in a parallel universe to the rest of us. I will. Um, <clears throat> I think I got really burnt out with doing theatre and film and TV and I actually went on a course it was actually aimed at animators who were working at places like Ardman who wanted to switch to being art directors for live action film and TV and I thought well, if I go along to that I can refresh my skills and be better at my job and get more work but what actually happened was that it just kind of pushed me towards interior design so it was it was this realization that the skills were the same so that's why I switched industry one of the set designers that I had worked for, he'd never trained in production design. He'd trained as an interior designer. So I kind of knew they were interchangeable. So that's what set me on the path for change. But I know exactly what you mean about interior design being perceived as something really bourgeois. And I think historically it has been, and, and it probably still is to some extent, but I've worked really hard in my business to try and make it more accessible, but without simply undercutting everyone and undercharging which I have also done and I'm trying to pull my socks up there that that's not the solution to making it more accessible 
So I've done things like create workshop experiences or kits that come in a box. So there's still a way in for people who wouldn't afford a designer to come in one-to-one and do it. I just remember when I was training to be a journalist, one of the trainees I was with was Boris Johnson's sister. And she would talk about houses and interior designers, although that was normal. And I used to sit and think I'm in the same room as you, we're learning the same stuff, but we seem to interpret the world very, very differently. But actually, when, since running a business, I've begun to realise that interior designers, yes, you may help very wealthy people, nothing wrong with that at all. But actually, you can help people who have less wealth, but maybe no skill, like me, in putting together what a design of a room looks like, and they may not enjoy that type of thing. They might want the result, but it might not be what lights them up. So tell us about your first interior design project. It was actually for a furniture shop. I, I'd been away. I'd, I'd been to Brazil for a couple of months. And while I was there, I thought, yeah, I just really want to switch now. So when I came back, I managed to get a mentor, which was brilliant. But he didn't really know anything about interior design. But he did get me my first project. Because he was a business mentor, he knew someone who was running this slightly bonkers and very, very tired furniture place. And he put us together, which was great. And I would go in and kind of one bay at a time just create something around these enormous beds a lot of the beds were really really very expensive ornate italian things but they the whole place just looked so run down it was quite a hard sell i think because it's got to look yeah it's got to match how did you start with something like that and when you look at something and you think it's jaded run down old-fashioned or the look doesn't match the price point where do you start with that well Working in the theatre was all about making things look as good as possible on as little as possible. So that came quite handy. I think I would tend to look at the bed because it was always about the bed and think about the kind of visual language that it should have around it and take cues from colour. So they had this they had this really huge black bed with crocodile skin. It was probably faux. Black, shiny so I put a lot of black with it and a patterned wallpaper and we painted the ceiling above it black as well, which sounds pretty dramatic, but in a showroom, something like that really works. So yeah, that was that was kind of how I did it. <laughs> okay, and name a, you know, a couple of your favourites since then, Zoe. I did do a really interesting project for someone, this is about 10 years ago now, for a writer who needed somewhere to go away from the house that wasn't going to berate her. I thought that's a lovely brief. So there was space to lie down on a sofa and it was quite an unusual brief because usually it's someone's house and this time it was a flat that wasn't inhabited all the time. It just needed to be quite quirky and unusual and not office-like to kind of promote the creative juices and help prevent any writer's block or anything like that. And it looked quite 50s. It was very quirky and lots of colours. So that was like my dream brief. And another fantastic project is I have some clients in Cardiff who've come back to me again recently. They're, they're a couple with children and I realised that the wife actually works in palliative care. So that's quite a hard thing to be working in. When I realised that that's what she does for a living, I was like, oh, now everything makes sense. Because what we've done in their hallway is paint the stairs in these like rainbow colours. <laughs> and the whole house is just so colourful, but it also feels really calm. I love doing work like that when I feel like I'm actually making a difference to someone's life and their well-being in some way. That's what drives me. And how do you help people find you, Zoe? What do you do to make yourself visible? I do use Instagram. 
it's been a real struggle actually to grow that. I mean, some people just seem to just skyrocket on there. And I don't, I think sometimes it's because I'm a little bit too earnest, <laughs> a bit too serious, despite my rainbow stares. I do have an email list that I'm gradually learning how to nurture a little bit better. I still feel worried about annoying people in their inbox because they can always unsubscribe. Exactly. I try and give some useful nuggets now and again. Um, I run workshops. That's been quite helpful, actually, in terms of increasing visibility because I've always got something to promote, I suppose. I mean, I ran workshops, which was something I did very sporadically prior to lockdown when I had time. And now I do them regularly because I can get small business owners in front of journalists for a day. And that hardly ever happens. But one this week, actually, and I try and do four a year. And I find workshops useful because for me, in a room of, say, 20 people, 20 is the max I can take. Um, after a while, they say, oh, Fiona, do you know, It'll be more cost effective for me to get you to do it. So they they almost got what I call the value ladder, if you see what I mean. They're at the workshop. Most people are fine. They Two or three will go off and do everything you've said, and they'll increase their visibility. Some will go away having had a nice time and do nothing, so nothing will happen. And then one or two will say, do you know, we understand we could do it ourselves. We haven't got time. We'd rather pay you. And I, I see it that way, if you see what I mean. Um, there's something for everyone within a workshop. I think they're great to do. So you're just, are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook or TikTok? I can see you as a TikToker. Really? I've never even been on TikTok. Yeah, I may have seen some TikTok videos, but only because they've been posted to Instagram. Well, honestly, I, on my suggestion to you, top tip for 2024, get onto TikTok and just watch and stalk for a bit, look for the interior designers or designers who are doing little videos on there. And I promise you, with a back, even the backdrop that you've got there, you could do little regular little reels on there. And you should oh. do it. Just embrace it. Well, I, I, I've been resisting because I just thought, oh, no, it's another platform to deal with and to service. And there's only one of me. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think that a lot. But I guess it comes down to this. Do you want to earn more money or don't you? I will. I will take that tip. Thank you. Do you do any networking then, Zoe? I do, actually. I've, I have joined the Bristol 24-7 Better Business Network because I would like to offer my, well, I have started offering my workshops to corporates and organisations for kind of employee engagement stuff. I thought that that would be a good way in. And I really like meeting other businesses. They do kind of fire me up, other entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's true. And sometimes it's just meeting new people. You never know who someone else knows or how you might inspire someone, maybe not for them, but for someone that they know um, yes. and things like that. And um, property developers probably be good contacts for you. People who buy up properties and turn them around quickly, who aren't necessarily interested in interior design as such, but kind of know certain things need to be done. I mean, for, so if I was working with you, that would be a strategic area we'd be looking at. There you go, PR tip number two. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Zoe, we've been talking for a little while. I haven't actually asked where you live. Oh, I'm in Bristol. I'm in Caulfield Way. Lovely. Bristol. No, I know Bristol because I, I worked at ITV for many years at Arnisfell, right next to the lovely cemetery. 
Well, Horfield, I think prison, but Horfield, <laughs> folks, is much bigger than the prison. That's all I'm saying. It's a much bigger area with loads and loads of lovely streets with those big Victorian piles and Georgian piles. Zoe, share with our listeners, how can they find you? If people are interested, how can they find you? My website is the best place to go, which is stylemongersofbristol.co.uk. There you go, folks. You've heard it. Stylemongersofbristol.co.uk. Go and take a look. And I'm assuming Zoe has all her contact details on there, so you can drop her a line. Zoe, thank you very much for joining me. You never know, we might give you a call back. Head over to Find Zoe for all your tips of upcoming colours, colours that work, colours that don't, colours that clash. Who cares? The world's a myriad of colours. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, If you want to find out about me, I'm at scottmedia.uk on the internet, or you can hop onto Facebook. I've got a group, Fearless Scots PR Tribe. It's totally free to join. If you say you've listened to this podcast with Zoe, we'll just let you in, and I will share loads and loads of PR tips and story tips and all sorts of stuff, and so does all sorts of other people. Um, Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. Thank you. Thank you.